What is up? What is good? It is Wednesday, and I hope you are feeling all right. Lefko in the house. I have Russell Joy at Joy on Broad, Kyle Scott at Crossing Broad. I am Adam Lefko at Adam Lefko. Uh, it's Wednesday. I read an amazing oral history of the Phillies yesterday. The Flyers, I saw a young kid beat the crap out of a Ranger in a fight. And the Eagles, they've got another running back in the fold, and they're getting ready for the Chargers, and we're still debating fourth and eight. Uh, guys, where would you like to start? Uh, good morning. Morning. Good morning. Uh, it was nice having flyers. Uh, I didn't really pay attention. I was trying to figure out how the hell to set up Facebook instant articles for the website, which is a pain in the ass. Uh, but I had the game on. It was nice having the flyers game on in the background. As I've wanted to talk about for probably the last two or three weeks, um, some prospects making making a legitimate case to make the roster, including the guy that you were talking about, Adam, Sam Moran. Who uh, some people call him Morin, some call him Moran. It all depends. It depends on how French Canadian you want to go. But um, a buddy of mine, we love the movie Goon, and he uh, he used the quote: "Sam Moran has been touched by the fist of God." Um, he was a, an assist away from a Gordiao hat trick last night. Uh, when he was first drafted, people kind of compared him to a Chris Pronger. Now he's not as offensively gifted, but he's a big dude. He'll throw the body around, and he he ripped a shot last night. Travis Sanheim looks awesome. Uh, Seems to have shaken off some jitters from early in training camp. It's exciting stuff, and I think you know Oscar Lindblom playing. That I think the biggest takeaway from that game um, is Claude Giroux actually playing on the wing, and it, it, it's been increasing. He's been flipping between center and wing, but when he's playing wing, he's playing on a line with Voracek at the other wing and Sean Couturier as the uh, as the center. There's some interesting stuff going on. It makes me get excited for Flyer season coming up. And then also knowing that within the next week, uh, Sixers training camp is not only starting up, but is really getting getting going, and that the season is uh, is upon us. I'm I'm just really excited for this time. Adam, are you excited for Flyers hockey? I'm going to try to be. Flyers are always the team every year that I like yell at myself for not watching from the beginning of the season. Um, I always get roped into. Rangers hockey in this area and what I mean by that is like everyone's always talking about it around me and there's so much fun to go to um, but I kind of really want to get into the Flyers because I feel like the young core is coming up and they have a beat reporter that tells me to to stick to sports you know and that's always really fun when someone covering the team is really vocal about their political views oh boy Sam Carcitti is not particularly well-equipped to deal with a nuanced topic no. like this. Um, Stop he is, it. I am just so excited that over the last week now, we have had Marcus Hayes and Sam Carcini have tweets slash stories go, you know, internet, sports, Twitter, viral uh, for their idiocy. And these are two guys we've ragged on on the website for years. And it's just kind of nice to see that the world at large is seeing what – in general, idiots they could be. Last week, Hayes misconstrued Jeffrey Lurie's uh, quotes and uh, made something out of nothing. And, and for people who didn't see, Sam Carcitti fired out a few tweets uh, at the Flyers game, I guess on Monday night, 
against the Rangers, and he said, uh, sorry, sporting events should not be political arenas. If you want to protest, do it on your own time. Don't use football as your platform. And he tweeted a picture of the ice during the anthem. He said, no, no players kneeling. They get it. Which was, um, you know, he's entitled to his opinions. I, I think that part is, is fine. But um, clearly not even attempting to address why these protests might be going on or let alone understand it. Um, and he got he got railed on on pretty on Twitter pretty hard. Never mind the the irony of the fact that he was doing it for a sport that is like ninety nine point nine and a half percent white and using his sports platform to complain about other people using their sports platform. It was very uh, it was all, it was all very Sam. Yep, Russ loved it, huh? Uh, Russ, so who, just to kind of wrap up the the Flyers with this, who are the young people that I haven't heard of before that you think are going to make this roster that are the future of this team? The future of the team, how how many of them make it, I don't know. I think probably three of them will, almost locked. Oscar Lindblom, um, probably going to play on a wing. Um, Travis Sanheim is a uh, defenseman. Sam Moran, I think, probably will make the team. Uh, it's a little bit iffy because they have the uh, the white whale or the uh, the albatross in the room, the big elephant in the room, and that's Andrew McDonald, who's making a lot of money to be a mediocre defenseman who Dave Hackstall continues to go to, to the carpet to defend. Uh, Robert Haig is an interesting guy. He's another really good defenseman. Um, we know Provorov played all season last year. He's fantastic. I think just uh, and Phil Phil Myers is is another you said really all good defenseman. So and you haven't said the second pick of the draft. Well, I mean Nolan Patrick, but is like, he a hundred percent making this team? I don't see how he doesn't at this point, especially if they're going to continue to experiment or even entertain the idea of moving Giroux to a wing. I think the only reason that you do that is because you want Nolan Patrick to to man your second second center spot. Gotcha. I don't think you do any of this with without that unless. He's going to be the center on a third line with, like, say, Simmons goes down there with him. If Konechny is down there. Konechny had the game winner last night in overtime. I, I always say that I think Flyers fans get too hyped up. I think a lot of Philly sports fans just get too hyped up. Um, this Flyers is the kind of thing like, this. This is, this is thing that I really like to, do, to see, though, is them not bringing in overpriced veterans to, to take spots away from their young kids. And Hextall has been known in his time as the GM to kind of hold guys down in the minors when you might think it's time to bring them up. My biggest concern is if you do call up Travis Sanheim and Sam Moran, how long does it take, or even Nolan Patrick, how long does it take Dave Hackstall to give them the ghost treatment from last year and end up, at, end up putting them up in the press box to sit for three, four games at a time? Um, I think this season is a lot about Dave Hackstall. And if nothing else, I think we have to maybe have the conversation halfway through the season of is he the right coach for the team going forward because yeah there's going to be a lot of youth but again we've said this before Sharu and Voracek are making a ton of money Simmons is going to be coming up for an extension you need to figure out what you have as a team and decide who the best guy going forward is going to be to lead them but it is a really exciting time I mean it's it's not quite as flashy name wise as as what the Sixers have yeah. uh, Nolan Patrick obviously is not as big of a name across all of sports as you know Ben Simmons, but he could have about. I would I would argue Nolan Patrick might have a bigger impact if he makes the Flyers team than Markel Fultz will. 
because he's going to be relied on more to make plays and to be involved in the game plan a little bit more, I think, than what we're expecting from Fultz, mm. if that makes sense. Russ, the tough thing about being on the hot seat as a coach in hockey is you're close to the ice and your seat's hot and we know that ice is cold and that's a dangerous combination. That's beautiful. I was working like on that, that for a while. That was, that was fantastic. Thanks. I did it in my head. Um, Russ, wait, I thought, Russ, I thought you might have enjoyed um, Anthony Sanfilippo's description of the young guys setting up the power play with trash cans in the locker room. Did you happen to catch that yesterday? I didn't catch it. I No, I, I didn't. I'm always a big fan of the, these guys were somewhere that is not the playing surface and started using ketchup bottles and uh, salt shakers as defensemen and were X and Oing. So the Flyers were doing that in the locker room with trash cans with uh, Konechny and Provorov and uh, Nolan Patrick and Jordan Wheel were just kind of taking it all in. I'm just a big fan of those. Back in the day, I used to get off on Jay Wright and the basketball team uh, doing doing salt shaker plays in the uh, student cafeteria. That was always my, my favorite thing. Can I just make note of the fact that you just mentioned four uh, ostensibly younger guys who are on the team and another reason why the Flyers are, are at least going to be interesting and somewhat exciting to watch this year. And you didn't even have to mention like the Claude Giroux and the Jake Voracek's of the world. What so is your the, Jordan Wheel opinion? I think Jordan Wheel's like a decent player. I, I do think I think he has the potential to, to actually score some goals for the team this year. And I, I don't mean that as like three. Like I think he he was a guy that they thought was going to get taken away in the expansion draft by Vegas and it didn't end up happening. Um so I, I don't know, like I, I I'm excited to see where he fits. I'm guessing third line for him, but but what do I know? I'm just a guy. It's true. You are. And you know who else is just a guy? Brett Brown. Uh, mm. I really enjoyed Kyle your post about how he was commenting on how amazing Joel Embiid's body is. Um, mainly because I know this is a story that's been done so many times. He's got the best goddamn accent ever. He is every bit of seven foot two. His shoulders are what we see. His hands are that of an athlete. He's got athlete's legs. He's got that fantastic post player's hips. He's perfectly designed in the position that he plays. And that all equals mobility. And so when I see Joel, for all those reasons, next to you know the tree line of the players that we have he's different he's really different he is a difference maker like brett brown's voice is incredible i don't know what it is but every time i hear him talk i'm trying to like place is that australia is that new jersey like what is his accent it's It's just the best australian Yeah, but that's you know that's the legend of Embiid. is even just looking at him is incredible but, you know, it goes back to my really scared mindset, which is I can't talk about Embiid anymore. And because of that, let's do a quick little moment of silence in honor of Embiid's entire body. Thank you very much. Have you ever heard a coach gush like that? Mm, yeah. That was I mean, incredible. I mean, he went, he just, he went shoulders, hands, legs, hips entire body and then his mobility and then how tall he is and how physically different he is and how good he is on the court and how physically he just stands out i mean that was that was gushing to the nth degree and i enjoyed uh not gonna lie turn me on a little bit it'd be really nice if they could work with sesame street get joel Embiid to be next to big bird and have brett brown do head shoulders knees and toes 
and bead style. It'd be beautiful. Yeah, I enjoyed how in that clip, if you saw the video of it, all the beat reporters are like not listening to a word he's saying, and they're all like trying to get their little nuggets as they watch the other players practice on the court or I don't even know, take photos, I guess. Um, uh, Sixers is going to be great, and the East is completely wide open now. Like our, our $20 <laughs> bet is ridiculous at this point. I'm so excited. Uh, can I just say really quickly, I, I am just floored, and I'm also slightly excited to watch Cleveland with, uh, with Dwayne Wade. I, I don't know if I'm more excited to, to see the reunion of the two or to watch it fail, uh, because I think ultimately it will. Uh, they might end up winning the East again, but I do not see them ever being in a position to take down Golden State in the West. Um, but I, were you guys surprised at all that Wade ended up going to Cleveland? The, the r- rumor had been OKC, which I think maybe would have been a better fit for him. Is this just Wade looking at it as like this is an easy ticket to the finals and to go play with LeBron again? I don't know how you guys felt. Adam? I I tend to lean with his relationship with LeBron is closer than anybody else. And you go to a team that has a core philosophy and they have the same coach and they have the same team and the East can get you there. Uh, whereas also, um, I think also Oklahoma City is the one city that Cleveland is a better metropolitan than. Um, I was joking around before That's that, you know, there. we used to not talk about any teams for Carmelo unless it was LA or New York because his wife Lala uh, only wanted to be in in the coast and you can tell that their marriage is really in trouble with the fact that he went to Oklahoma uh, but the wind goes yeah exactly so now uh, I I don't the only thing I'm going to say is if the Cavs go to the finals and lose to the Warriors I'm not going to call that failure for Cleveland you know what I mean um, but I think it's it always amazing on how, on how badly they lose the finals. Yeah, because but I still I, think like if you if get I to the it, finals, it's not a failure. I don't know, man. Like we we say how wide open the East is. Like your only competition in the East right now is Boston, and if Boston ends up taking you to a game seven, uh, and then you go and you get swept by the Warriors, I, I do think that is a failure. Yeah, because the Warriors, then that would the mean Warriors are a special case. They really yeah, are. I know. But I'm say, like what I'm saying is. If, if you look like you get the worst of the deal, the Isaiah Thomas and Kyrie Irving deal, which you probably will, uh, and then you get Dwayne Wade and Dwayne Wade doesn't play, like let's say two-thirds of the season or something like that because he's he's an older guy and he's banged up and he's he's constantly injured. If, if having Wade and Isaiah Thomas doesn't get you at least somewhat competitive in that finals and you get swept, like I do think that is a failure. I think you've got it. Like at this point, I think if you're going to have any beaten Kyrie. I guess it depends on how Isaiah does in that series. But if Isaiah is 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 out or he's hurting that, like I I don't know. I don't think the optics look good for Cleveland at all. I don't. I, and the other thing I'm wondering now is now that Wade is playing in Cleveland, if they end up, let's say they go six or seven with Golden State as is, Carmelo becomes a free agent the next year, and they've always you know it's like the banana boat thing, right? If if Anthony then leaves Oklahoma City, like, does that actually keep LeBron in Cleveland? We've always said that LeBron is leaving, but if LeBron and Dwayne Wade are are why not just do really this in LA? No, they can just do it all in LA. Yeah, but wouldn't you rather go to the finals? Because like, if you're why gonna... not? Yeah, but if they could all yeah, but wouldn't you rather have the same team but in LA? Yeah, probably. But 
you might like depending on where your seating ends up like you're talking about getting beaten in the conference final potentially instead of in the nba finals i don't know how incentives work in some of these guys deals but i would think that that for them and for the league the exposure of them being in the finals is better for them their brand and the league than for lebron to now get knocked out every year in the western conference finals that's just me yeah, but you're not factoring the human element of these guys are well into their careers and don't want to live in freaking Cleveland. That's fair. Like that's a that's a huge thing. Plus, then you get to mix in Lonzo Ball and you mix in a few other people. Um, they're just destined to all be in Lakers jerseys at this point. Just really quick, I, I don't know how you guys are feeling about it, but I think my expectations for Ben Simmons, since we're on this the basketball topic. I've gotten more and more excited about Ben Simmons as a player um, probably in the last two weeks than I have been at any point since the Sixers drafted him. Um, the fact that, that you hear guys who have been around the league and have played with some of the best, uh, like the J.J. Reddicks of the world, the Amir Johnsons of the world who have played with you know, solid players, solid athletes, uh, hearing the way that they, they gush about Ben Simmons and how he is able to do literally anything and everything on the, on the court, I think is awesome. Um, and I think like when we come to like what the, the expectations are for the Sixers and for Ben Simmons and for Markel Fultz, I think it's interesting because I, I think we do, I think rational people have a lower expectation of Markel Fultz for this year, which I think is fair um, because he's truly a rookie. And I think in the grand scheme of things, people are underrating how effective Ben Simmons can and probably will be off the bat because he had that entire year just like Embiid did. Uh, he had that entire year to travel with the team to understand what the life on the road in the NBA is, what an 82-game schedule looks like. I just expect a lot from him, and I'm really excited to see him get out on the court. Um, I am excited for Fultz, but I'm, I think I'm very cautiously optimistic with, with him as a rookie. So that that's just my, the, my little piece on The thing with Simmons. Simmons is people, I don't know if we talked about this on here, if I was having a discussion with somebody else, but... Of the three guys, the three centerpieces on the Sixers, Simmons was uh, perhaps by far, well, I don't know by far, but he was the guy coming into the draft. He maybe was the over most the, highly touted, I agree. Maybe over the last four years. I mean, he was the only he was guy the most really highly drawing. highly touted since LeBron, I thought. Yeah, I like, mean, he's the guy drawing comparisons, LeBron comparisons. Yeah. He's the guy working out with LeBron. He's almost a seven foot two ball-handling forward. Uh, I thought something, I picked up on something yesterday as – as Brown was gushing about Embiid, and he said he's legitimately 7-2. And then you look at a picture of Embiid standing next to Simmons, and he's got about two inches on him. So is it possible both of them grew? Or is Brett Brown just inflating Embiid's height and and then therefore Simmons' height? But there was a big thing earlier this year. It's like it's Ben Simmons seven feet tall. Well, if if Joel Embiid is legit seven feet two – then Ben Simmons is darn close to seven feet tall, and that's pretty darn impressive. When you look at Fultz, there was a picture from Media Day the other day, and when you look at Fultz next to the two of them, he looks like a child, and he is not, he is not a six-foot point guard. He looks tiny next to them. Uh, I'm really concerned what... about Fultz. I have to be honest about something. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, the Chick-fil-A? A... Is this the Chick-fil-A thing? Kind of. I saw yeah. a post from Julia Okafor where he was like getting all my guys to go vegan and they were all drinking smoothies, which is to me, as we've talked before, the easiest thing to do that's vegan because it's like fruit, vegetables, it's easy. 
And he showed Markel Fultz, and Markel Fultz is like, I'm not doing any of that. And I'm like, man, Markel Fultz about to be on the road for 82 games all over the place. He's going to be eating sloppy. I'm a little bit worried about Markel Fultz's diet. I'm going to be honest. Was it Fultz not holding a thing? or was He was it not Fultz? holding a thing, and he looked like a pouty five-year-old that was like, I don't want a smoothie. Well, in fairness, that's kind like of that. his face. Yeah, that is his uh, face. You that know what? Jaleel, Jaleel can can keep uh, drinking his smoothies. We now have to have a debate on if he's even the best Okafor on the team since they signed Emeka Okafor, who hasn't played in the league in, I think, three years because of a herniated disc in his neck. I walked into work, I, and so I was like, what do you think about the Sixers getting Emeka Okafor? I go, what is he, an assistant coach? I'm like, no, he's going to play. I go, shut the hell up. Can I yeah, tell I you my, my my favorite Emeka Okafor thing? Because I, I got to go. But do you remember on a draft night, when Emeka Okafor and Jameer Nelson were up and uh, and the Magic took Dwight Howard. Remember how mad Dick Vitale was? Like that's when he was still on uh he was still on the coverage. He was getting so just he was he I was don't, over but what the did top. it sound like, Russ? It sounded like this, baby. You got Emeka Okafor. He's the co player of the year, baby. Who is this guy? Dwight Howard, he's from a high school, baby. We already even knows what he can do. He's a big guy. Can he catch the ball? Can he dunk the ball? Can he shoot the ball? You got a Mecca Okafor. He's a co-player of the year. And then, like, what was it? A half hour later, Jameer Nelson's still on the board. Jameer Nelson is a co-player of the year in NCAA. You got these high school kids being taken. I don't even know how to feel, baby. I'm just so upset. Sound like an old Italian house husband yeah, in an argument great. with his wife. Well, in fairness, that, that kind of is what Dick Vitale that, sounds like. So That, that, is, that actually is, is Dick Vitale. Um... The, yeah, I really uh, enjoyed that. Anyway, I'm going to leave on that. Uh, you guys have a, a splendiferous day. See. Um, I, I hope uh, this transitions. Oh, see, I, this is really great transitioning by me. Um, You're supposed to just re- leave and say, we'll no, see it. No, I, I know. It's I'm seamless. sorry. Well, you know what? Delete delete this. So uh, Earlier he said okay. transition. He goes, all right, that's enough about that topic. Where yeah, are we going come, next? Well, because that's because that's when Kyle, that's when that's when Kyle's computer, you know, decided to uh, go up in flames like Rick Pitino's career. Bye. <laughs> I appreciate Ooh. the line he ended on. My favorite thing about them signing Okafor, Emeka Okafor, is it's like they're doing everything they can to make Jaleel feel not wanted. Like when they they do the photo ops, he's never included in those. He's never included when anyone on the team speaks about the core. They openly talk about wanting to trade him, and now they're like, you know what? You're not even going to be the only Okafor on the team anymore. We're going to bring up your better, older, taller brethren, Emeka Okafor, who apparently they're not related at all, which sort of blows my mind. Um, but yeah, it, like if there's any, they're trying to push Dalil out so hard that they had to bring in a second Okafor. I enjoy that. I thought it was going to be when Jaleel goes, but you gave Joel so much help and not me. You even brought in Luke Ma Bamute to to like help him adjust to be like, well, no, no, we we brought in another Okafor. Like that's we were trying to help you out. That's what I was hoping it was going to be. Um, so, do you think that Carson Wentz legitimately owes a game check to Jake Elliott? Uh, it's right it there has on come the audio. Out the Eagles have released a video and audio of Carson Wentz saying, if he makes this, I'll give him my game check, to which a few players responded, whoa, and he nails it. And in the true way in which social media has changed, usually that video would come out like seasons later, all that stuff, and it would just be a funny clip. And now there's like an internet discussion of, 
Should Carson Wentz give Jake Elliott $34,571? What do you think? So I understand he says it, but what do you think? So you're you're going 100% yes, pay the man. It's on It's on audio. You said it twice. Uh, whoever was standing next to him kind of looked at him and went, whoa, like that. Like, hey, you got to. You got to pay up. I'm more intrigued that he's he's going to pay up because he's Carson Wentz and he's a man of his, of his word. And uh, he his game checks only say only in quotes thirty one thousand dollars. He he gets one point six million a year plus there's a signing bonus on top of that. But his base salary is only five forty. So the game check is kind of chump change to him anyway. Um, and I I don't think the players around him realize the structure of his contract and perhaps. But he is probably well aware of what he gets on a weekly basis. So it's really not that much money. Uh, so you just give it to the guy. Uh, the thing that's going to be interesting is I feel like the league is going to have something to say about this. Because my guess is, like, they don't want players, like, swapping stakes on the sidelines. Like, as fun as it all is, there's a weird sort of, like, hey, this, this you know, you remember back to the bounty gate thing, and this is obviously a little bit different, but you have you have a player saying, hey, I'm going to pay my teammate if he does this. Like, I'm guessing somewhere in the NFLPA slash NFL, they don't want players uh, horse trading their, their game checks on the sideline. But uh, it was enjoyable, and I hope he does. He should pay him. He, 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 every, every, he has to pay him. It's on, it's on audio. You can't get away with that. You I'm got guys who tweet for... something like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat six million Skittles if the team wins this game, and then they win, and he's got to go walk around his neighborhood naked eating Skittles. Like, people, you got to make good on what, what you say. What? There's a naked Skittle eater video? No, nah, just combine it. Like, someone does a crazy stunt, and they usually yeah. do it naked. That's Wentz thing. is going to be, like, he's going to be in the locker room, and he's going to get everything. He's going to look so darn bashful, you know? And I said it, and the words that come out of my mouth, they ring true in the spirit of eternity. And I, much like the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I giveth to Jake Elliott. It's going to be amazing. I'm really excited. So, um... I've been eager to uh, – two, two things, two things. Uh, first, a quick hitter here. What do you think of Twitter's new 280-character limit? Uh, I'm indifferent. I don't know how that impacts anything. Well, I think it changes changes a lot. In um, what way? It, it doubles the limit of Twitter. So what? Oh, well, I mean, you know, you. I think t- Twitter has kind of forced people to speak in these one- to two-sentence bursts and – has if I you think, think about in like terms that. of it, yeah but you think about like in, in terms of the information that is shared like think about when you're you know you're following a writer and hey i got a two-part quote here like you're going to see more actual information being shared than just links to stuff which i'm guessing is is twitter's goal here um my favorite though is the quote from jack the the twitter uh, what is it? he's back to being the ceo now is that how it works i guess so Jack, yeah, Jack, yeah, the, the founder of the company. Yeah, okay. So he tweets yesterday. I've never seen a like. All right, here, here's his, here's his quote. By the way, it's 280 characters. This is a small change, but a big move for us. 140 was an arbitrary choice based on the 160 character SMS limit. Proud of how thoughtful the team has been in solving a real problem people have when trying to tweet, and at the same time maintaining our brevity, speed, and essence, dude. You guys like changed like one line of code that said car limit, and they they changed that number. That's literally all they did. And like he's you got companies out there like Elon Musk flying to Mars, Apple microizing cell antennas and putting them on your wrists, 
and Facebook taking over the world with their deep dive of data and impacting literal elections in the United States. And the CEO of Twitter is going on and on and gushing about the fact they're like, yeah, I'm just going to make you be able to tweet a little bit longer. Like, you wonder why Twitter is twisting in the wind. Like, no one wanted this. No one actually wanted this. And they're continuously trying to figure out ways to make money and what works and how we could sell advertising and how we could do video. And their soup du jour is we're just going to make the tweets longer so people stay on our website longer and spend more time on, on the site and in our apps. Like, you suck. You suck, yeah. Twitter. They, they've done everything in their power to make a what was a once like good product and try and make it for the masses, and they continue to continuously fail to do that. At the Sorry, same point, though, like right. I don't think Twitter's going anywhere. Like it's when not- there's an event or there's a, an award show or whatever, or there's a sporting event, everybody's on Twitter. It, they are, but everybody in our, they still only have like under 40% market penetration call it in the u.s because you know there's a lot of variables around the world but i think like less than 40 percent of the of people in the u.s maybe way less are on twitter whereas like you know the number for facebook is like north of 85 percent yeah but like i don't Twitter's want to talk just a to ban- people on facebook no i agree and people who use twitter like we do and i'm guessing a good chunk of our listeners like it like it is it, it's better i spend infinitely more time on twitter but it's actually it's a bad it's a bad company like they are a bad company because sure. they they're continuously trying to you know Facebook found the secret sauce from a business standpoint how to make money and how to get basically everybody on the in the world on Facebook or they're trying to get everybody in the world on Facebook and Twitter has never caught on like that because it's it's a little bit more complicated to use like there's some platform specific language with the at signs and the hashtags and like it's you it's just it's a quirky it's a quirky thing it's always been a quirky thing once you get to use it, and if you have followers like we do, it's much more useful. The problem is, if you're just, you know, you go on Facebook, you can pretty much count that most of your friends are going to be there. Same deal with LinkedIn. When you go on Twitter as just an average user, yeah, you'll have a few friends on there. But for most people, it's about following people with followings. So sports fans sign up for Twitter. They follow flyers accounts and players and people in the media and then bloggers like me and and people like you and then you know people whose podcasts they listen to and it's very much like a you know the people with a plat um with an audience are speaking to their audience but it's not like it's not something where you sign up for and follow a bunch of your friends for the most part and they're trying to make it mainstream and they keep doing all these goofy things like they keep messing up their app the app sucks like i, I use a third party app they they've taken away the thing that made it great which was the reverse chronological order and now they're trying to surface which tweets they think you might want to see and now they're changing the character limit they're trying to broadcast nfl games like just focus on what made it good and that was like the fact that you chose to follow people and you got their tweets in reverse order like that's what people liked about it. And everything they've done on top of it has made it infinitely worse. Yeah. It's, uh, I just like how people are like, oh my God, this changes everything. And it's like, okay, so now I just don't have to go through my tweets after the fact and turn with into W slash and then put in a bunch of ampersands and like make sure that I still have a few left and then like somehow try and like just take the space between two words out and like make sure it still looks good. Yeah, I don't I mean, know. I don't think it's that it's, big of a deal. But the thing, you know, part of the, the the whole use case for Twitter is you scroll and you could 
all but guaranteed. Oh yeah, that whole thing something. is that whole thing is fucked right now. It is fucked. But now when you're scrolling, you know, regardless of how you're scrolling and what tweets they're showing you, you're gonna scroll, and it's gonna be harder for you to just glance. You, know, you used to be able to glance at a tweet and oh wait, so what it. are they changing? The character limit. Oh, but oh, they, this is already. You're, I thought there was another change to the scroll. No, no. My point is now when you're scrolling, like you know, you're not going to be able to quickly ingest every tweet that goes by because some of them are going to be four sentences long. Um, the other thing is, you know, like people like me, I use it obviously to link to stuff. Um, there's a, you can impart a lot more information in 280 characters. What they should do, you know, since so many people use Twitter to consume news is keep the character limit, but do something like Facebook is with the instant articles where, you know, for media outlets slash blogs, whatever, like you can sign up to um, format your articles directly in Twitter. So you have your 140 character limit, but then when you press read more, you don't get taken off of Twitter and go to a website. The article just expands within the Twitter app. This is exactly what happens with Facebook. And, and then they could put ads in there. Like from a business standpoint, that people use Twitter for news, like that would be useful. Just adding characters and then speaking about how brave and or you know how courageous you guys are to make that change. Like, give me a break. Yeah. Oh, it is always ridiculous. Um, can I talk Eagles real quick? Yeah. Um, I do think that this is going to be a trap game, but I also think we're playing them at a good time. So Melvin Gordon's banged up, which is enormous. Uh, their offensive line has been playing awful. This is the Chargers. Uh, Phillip Rivers was abysmal on Sunday. I mean, he could have had five interceptions. He only had three. But their offense is all out of whack. They're stuck between two identities where they're coming from the Mike McCoy offense the last few years, which was throwing the ball around and they could put up four to 500 yards and then Anthony Lynn came in, who is a predominantly run coach. Uh, that's what he's always brought to teams. It's what he brought to Buffalo. Is it's very good run concepts, and it's just not working. And so they're stuck in, they want to be a power run team, but they have the DNA of a passing team. And then on defense, they've lost their best corner of the year, Jason Verrett. And the only players on their defense that are really playing well right now are their two pass rushers Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram those guys will get to Carson Wentz but this should be a team that the Eagles should beat but I'm also worried of a deflation after you know a big 61 yard field goal emotional rush against against the division rival it just has all the makeup of kind of a letdown. And um, I don't know. I'm just, are, are you getting the vibe that, like, we're going to be expected to beat the Chargers. I don't know what the line is. But I'm just a little wary right now of a letdown vibe. But I do think we're a lot better than this team. Yeah, the interesting thing you pointed out about Chargers is uh, Melvin Gordon, sort of, in I don't know, at least in the fantasy circles last year, he just put up points because his workload was extreme, especially in the red zone. But he's not that good of a running back. So if you know what you're saying is, is accurate, and I, I don't doubt you, going in there and trying to turn them into a power running team, he's really not that good of a player. He had a lot of success because their passing game was so dynamic 
that when they you know when they got down into the red zone there was a you know there was a number of things the defense had to focus on and, and Melvin Gordon was maybe the fourth talented player on the field uh, and he was beneficiary of a workload and he's struggling and he's hurt is he going to be out this week or is he just missed the end of the game right oh you mean like this week what's going to be the deal with Melvin Gordon yeah he's playing right he's expected to play um, but you even if, if he's hobbled that's enormous. Because the drop off from him to Oliver is is very strict, also because I feel like most of their offense is based around him. Um, but look, their wide receivers, Keenan Allen, Tyrell Williams, Dodrell Inman, they will have an advantage over the Eagles secondary. We'll see, obviously, if Rodney McLeod plays. But um, I'm also curious, just the evolving Eagles injury report uh, the rest of the way. You know, who's going to be on it all the time? Uh, you know, what are they expecting to do at offensive line now that it seemed like they played well with Samalo on the bench going Warmack and Wisniewski heavy? Um, you know, it's it, it's curious, but the Eagles are starting a stretch where the Giants have a very hard schedule coming up. The Cowboys just went through a tough schedule and Washington's for real, but these are the games of, of the AFC West you cannot lose to the Chargers if you're the Eagles because you still have Raiders, Chiefs, and Broncos. You have to beat the team that's 0-3, but the Chargers are going to be desperate as hell because they're 0-3 right now, and it's at home, but it's in a place where there really is no home field advantage. Kyle, it's so bad for the L.A. Chargers right now. They're not selling out their 27,000-seat stadium, and last week... They're claiming they didn't do team intros because Anthony Lynn wants to be more of a team. But there's a lot of theories that there were much more Chiefs fans than the Chargers, and they didn't want to get booed during their own player intros. I can't believe the NFL thought moving two teams to L.A. was a good idea. But, but Kyle, it's the number two media market. They'll come around, and the the growth for finances is exponential. I guess. I guess. No, it's ridiculous. They couldn't do it the first time, and, like, and then we're going to take away. The, the thing that sucks is you're taking away an amazing road trip for Eagles fans. This could have been a trip to San Diego, which is like, top five city in America, but now it's like a trip to LA, which LA is fine. I uh, see. I've been to San Diego, but never LA. I would, I, I want to go to LA. I would, is it San Diego's amazing? Yeah. I was there for like three days for work. It was fine. Oh. Yeah. yeah. It was not. Yeah. The weather was great. That's, it's that's perfect. Um, Hey, so, um, the NCAA thing. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about this. My, so my favorite dynamic, if people weren't paying attention Long story short, it's kind of a complicated thing. Four assistant coaches got arrested yesterday. Uh, two people from Adidas, including one of their marketing executives, and a couple of, I guess, financial slash business advisors were in this scheme where two things were happening. One, the financial advisor would pay uh, an assistant coach sort of a bribe to steer a player in their direction and to go to give a player money through an assistant coach to attend that school, and then the assistant coach agreed to help steer that player towards that advisor's services once that player became pro somewhere. The other scheme was Adidas, through intermediaries, paying 
basically the boosters for these high school players to go to a specific college for a school that was sponsored by Adidas. And then these players had to sign things that said they verified their amateur status, which of course they weren't the minute they accepted a check that was laundered from Adidas. Uh, And this went past just violating NCAA rules. I think that's what I was confused about. And I think a lot of people were at first. Well, hey, these are NCAA rules. This isn't actually like a crime. But um, there was fraud, and it, it by the players having to assert their amateur status, that was basically putting it was it became a fraudulent activity. And then you had some sort of bribery where these coaches were steering players towards financial advisors who um, ha- themselves had a litany of prior business transgressions, and therefore um, the whole thing was just like the whole thing was just a mess. So these guys got arrested. It's probably just the tip of the iceberg. My favorite part of this, though. It's all the college, the big name college basketball guys. Uh, Seth Davis, Pat Ford, I think Jay Billis. To be fair, Billis is the one guy who's who's somewhat been you know quick to call out college athletics for many things in the past. All these guys yesterday though, tweeting about, oh yep, they're gonna find a lot more. This goes on all the time. I'm surprised it took this long. Like to a man, they came out like, oh yeah, this isn't surprising. We knew this was going on. We knew this was going on. You know, fuck you guys. Like these are guys who have made a career, a brand, and a lot of money off of being college basketball pontificators. And you're going to sit, you know, clearly they knew what was going on. I'm guessing they knew many of the players in this, having been in the game as long as they've been. And, you know, we don't want to say anything because we don't want to rock the boat. But, hey, the minute there's a bunch of arrests, oh, like they're all coming out and being like, oh, yeah, we knew this was going on. Of course it was. It's really bad. They should really look into this. Like, you talk about people who didn't want to, like, like bite the hand that fed them. These guys all coming out yesterday and being like, oh, yeah, we knew this was going on. Like, you're in the media. You never talked about this. Everyone knew there was players getting played, but you never knew about like these complex schemes. No one ever told us about this, and all these guys are like, "Oh yeah, we knew." Like, screw you. That really pissed me off. Yeah, it's, I understand. Super what you're hypocritical. Saying. It's like college basketball. I think college basketball has always thought that their scandals would never get uncovered, kind of like the ones that happen in college football. Like. We know there's bag people in college football and all this money. We're never surprised when a prize recruit gets like $100,000. And we're like, that's the way of doing business. And I feel like college basketball is the same way. But all basketball is completely run by shoe companies. Like shoe companies' entire mission is to get you hooked on their shoes when you're younger, to put you on an AAU team that is sponsored by that shoe, to then go to a school that is sponsored by that shoe, and then when you get to the NBA, to eventually sign you to a shoe deal, and then hopefully you're so good that they build a shoe around you and then make money off your likeness. Like, you could be literally wearing a shoe and be owned by a shoe your entire life. And that's what the goal is. Like, you always hear about these teams because it's so easy to funnel money to an Adidas AAU team that your dad is the head coach of when you're a shoe company. When you're, when you're let's say, Louisville and you're an Adidas school. That's how they do it. Um <laughs> I'll never forget. NBA I'll never 2K forget. Built their whole game around that. What do you mean? The whole uh, my player thing in two K eighteen is about yeah, taking your player through the streets. Like it's almost like RPG GTA style, where you roam the neighborhood and you can go to the practice facility to practice and play games. You could go to the courts to play 
street ball. You can go pro-am and play like online matches. But the whole thing is about getting your characters, um, you know, apparel up, getting shoe deals, going to your agent's office and agreeing to what shoe deals you want to have, doing interviews after the game and saying things that impact your marketability. Like they've made it into a micro RPG game. Oh yeah, it's great. It's great. It's like it's a it's a brilliant execution on um, you know you create your player and then you could take your player to the streets to online tournaments, one up his stuff, go to the practice facility, play Back in your in NBA game. Back my day, you just played people in basketball. No, I know it's a little like it's a little much. I don't have enough time to really invest in it. But so I just take that's it what I always see on social media is people talk about how much time it takes to play NBA 2K and like get your ratings up and stuff. Yeah. Dude, I'll never forget I was at Louisville and Rick hires this assistant coach named Tim Fuller. And Tim's last job was Adidas. And I remember I was like wondering, I was like, why are they hiring this Adidas guy as their basketball coach? And I remember like talking to people after the fact and they were like, because he was only there for like a year or two. And then he ended up at Missouri where there was the huge scandal of like illegal paying kids. But... It was like, oh, yeah, he would get kids the new shoes before they even came out, and he'd have it on their doorstep. And he's like, that was part of recruiting. And, uh, yeah, the shoe companies and all that, dude, it's always, like, it's always a thing. Um, your thing about, yeah. Rick, your thing about Louisville, uh, the allegations from the New York Times, the allegations include payments of $100,000 from a company, presumably Adidas, to the family of an unnamed player to secure his commitment to the school, which described as public research, a public research university with enrollment at 22,640 located in Kentucky. That matches the school's enrollment figures, according to the University of Louisville. Um, does, Patino, does Patino survive this? Of course, of course, he issued a statement saying, oh, I've been shocked. I had no idea this was going on. Does he survive this as a Louisville guy? Uh, the vibe that I see from a lot of people is that this is the end for Rick Pitino. Um, and I think it's interesting because much like the mob, um, the mafia, these coaches usually do a very good job of creating insulation that if the court of law was going to look into it, it would be handled by somebody else that would not have any direct contact with the head coach. That's why it's so hard to track these guys back to that coaches. They create this ba- this buffer, this barrier. But I just think that it's looking like the Louisville basketball program is going to need you to do a, a whole reset. Um, and I'm also very curious, is, is this all going to come down on Adidas? And if so, how complicit was Nike to making sure that all this information got out? That's what I would be really curious about. But my my hunch would be you have a prostitution scandal that you had nothing to do with, and then you had a, a money scandal linked with shoe companies. Now the issue is what do you know about your program? If, if, if you truly didn't know anything about these two things, you have no institutional control whatsoever, and now that's the issue. But... You know, the AD, Tom George, loves him. And that that's always... He'll, he'll, Tom George doesn't do what people say he should do. He does what he wants to do. 
No, I mean as long as he could still make money for the school, then it's hard to uh, whatever. But I mean this, this is going to get too this is going to get too loud. Like he, I don't think he could sidestep this one. Like now you have you have federal indictments on on coming your way, not your way, but to your program's way. I don't think you can you can sidestep that. Yeah, should be interesting. Anyway. But man, they can't get out of their own shit. They really can't. All this would be solved, by the way. Like the whole paying players thing, it's very easy to go on Twitter in 140 or 280 characters and say, well, you should pay the players. Okay, but then there's a million questions. How much do you pay one player? Do you play all players the same? Does every D1 athlete, regardless of how much money they generate for the school, get paid? Does the women's lacrosse team get paid, even though you know they cost the school money? Do just the basketball and football players get paid? Do the men's and women's teams get paid? Like, there's a million questions there. And then once you decide who gets paid, you're like, all right, how much do they get paid? Does every player on the team, including the walk-on, get paid the same amount? Does the guy, does the star player who's going to be a lottery pick get paid more because he's worth more? Like, these are questions that, you know, are going to take unions to decide, and it's going to be a mess. To me, and this is why it's it's not as easy as just paying the players because, you know, it's it's a whole thing. The easy solution here is certain guys, certain college players have monetary market value. And the biggest problem with sports is like you can't take Chris Jenkins. He hits the game-winning shot against North Carolina. He has to wait a full year until after his last college game to get paid to do an autograph signing of photos of his famous shot. And he's going to get paid for autograph signings on that shot for the rest of his life. Okay, but he had to wait a year to do that. After the national championship, Jay Wright and Ryan Archidiakono signed a deal with Steiner Sports to sign exclusive memorabilia for them from the game. Yet Chris Jenkins couldn't, the guy who hit the shot, because he was still still going to be a senior the following year and was ineligible. Like these are the things. If the NCAA would just allow players who have a market value to make money to sign a shoe deal, to sign with an agent, to do an autograph sign signing to be a sponsor for the local supermarket down the street from the campus and get $5,000 for the year. Like let them go out on their own and give them, you know, create a department at D1 universities that is like the office of athlete compliance and representation where you provide these players some sort of representation uh, or, you know, the, the framework to deal with this stuff and allow them to get paid what they deserve on the, on the free market. You don't get paid to play. But you allow players who have a monetary value earn that. Be on the cover of video games, whatever it is, right? Like that that to me is the easy way to solve this problem. Because then these high school kids don't have to take money through back channels. Adidas could just give the kid a hundred thousand dollars, you know, and there you go. And if he makes the NBA, then he signs with them. Like this this doesn't seem that complicated. Yeah. It right. Is, and then you man. solve these problems. Like you solve all this shady stuff. Because the the Guys who are truly worth money will, will you know, they'll get paid in, in other ways. You know what's funny, and, and you know this, all of the institutions in our country that have a lot of shadiness, it's not going to go away because there's some form of lobbyist that doesn't want it to go away. Because as soon as anything threatens the tax-free nature of universities, it all crumbles. And, right, but uh, this has nothing to do with the school. Like, just, you know, let the player, if, if that kid wants to go out and, you know, use his, do autograph signings and appearances and get paid five five $5,000 a pop to show up somewhere for two hours, 
like you know pro guys do even more than that let him go like the university has nothing you know nothing to do with that let that guy go make money if he wants to if he wants to play in I don't know. I mean, maybe this is different, but if he wants to play in Europe over the summer when he, on his free time, let him go. The school's not paying him. He's not an employee. You know, yeah. I mean, these these are the things like school doesn't have anything to do with the money. But yeah, the problem is, you know, now that dips amateurism into the, that yeah, it dips into amateurism and the coffers of the NCA and the schools themselves because the players can earn money. But, you know, it doesn't change the TV deals the schools are getting. The players don't get any of the the attendance revenue from the game. So the schools schools are still going to get their money. But, you know, that's that's an easy way to allow the players to there's certainly some one off things to work on. But like that, that's a way to that's a way around all this. And it's crazy that they won't do it. Were you as impressed as I was that Russ really knows his shit for the Flyers? A little bit, a little bit. I, you know, I, I don't know because I don't like I don't go. Okay, as deep I don't on the know Flyers. if he's right or not. <laughs> no, I think he is. I think he is because I've been I've been trying to go a little bit deeper the thing with the Flyers over the last few years, it's kind of like been the Phillies on a lesser scale. It's like they're just kind of toiling away in mediocrity and had a weird mismatch of, you know, mid-career guys and and rookies, and you weren't quite sure who was going to be good. Um, as Hextall was kind of doing the the same sort of purge to Klintak was, maybe on a lesser scale. Now I think you have Hextall's guys in there. You have the true young guys who will hopefully form the core, like Provorov and Konechny and maybe Wheel and Nolan Patrick and Ghost and all these guys. So now, like, you're building something and it's worth paying attention to. You know, for a few years there, both the Flyers and Phillies were just rolling out players who, you know, aren't going to factor into the future. And for me, maybe I'm just cynical doing this, but it's really hard to get invested in that because it's like, why am I wasting my time watching, you know, watching a placeholder product until we can kind of turned gear forward i feel like all, all of our teams have now turned that gear to the point where they're all worth watching because they're all they all have the players in place to build to something which is which is nice can we also give a shout out to matt gelb for that awesome 2007 phillies oral history for their run in september <clears throat> and matt breen and matt breen uh and matt breen yeah a lot of pressure on the philly.com inquirer guys of late to you know perform because that place is not in good shape and um i i sense morale is is quite low there so you see you've seen a lot of them try a lot of new things lately i thought this was really well done though an oral history is like the easiest thing in concept to do but it's very difficult to pull off because you have to get first of all a good number of voices but to put it together in a way you know there's a lot of editing here um to get these quotes to to tell a, a good story um Perhaps the canonical oral history for sports fans, and I, I don't know if you even read this, Adam, uh, the ESPN, Those Guys Have All the Fun book by James Andrew Miller. Yeah, for sure. It came out in 2011. I mean, it, it was like, I don't know page-wise because I, I do audiobooks. It's it was enormous. a 24-hour audiobook, which is absurd, and it was almost all um, oral history. And it was, that is, it was pretty remarkable in its, uh, in its storytelling. But it was so cool just to like – read like kind of their perspectives and Jason Worth and J- and Jamie Moyer and, and Aaron Rowan and Charlie Manuel. That was just, it was really, really enjoyable to kind of relive that moment. And, uh, and just, I, I, I still sometimes forget that Brett Myers was like our pitcher of the future and then became our closer during that stretch. Like, I, I just like forget that that happened. 
Um, but that was that was really really fun. If you want to get taken back into time, check out that oral history because it, it, I really thought it was well done. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they did a good job, and I liked how they brought in Harry. They looped in Harry from. Oh, the it was great. Call. That's. I, I, it's I'm impossible not for me to read a Harry. It says like Harry Callis, and then uh, like I read it in his voice. Yep. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie here. I was I was like choking up as they were. I was I was reading the part about Worth walking through the tunnel with the stands rocking before the game. Like because these are all the things we remember as Phil's fans, and it's been a while since we've had like that sort of Phillies uh, Philly sports related excitement uh, in, in a good six years. Do you want to talk about the quick fourth and eight and the statistics that have come out before we get going? Uh, yeah, real quick. All uh, so yesterday, I went back and forth with Jimmy Kemsky on Twitter in the morning. I um slept in a little bit until 7:45 yesterday. So I was on my phone just tweeting when I woke up and I saw Kemsky posted an article which uh was oh, trying hold to Hold on, we hold on really quick. We have a tweet from Carson Wentz that just came out. Well, that escalated quickly, but don't worry. Jake Elliott and I got this worked out. Yeah, in other words, hey, I can't actually give you my game check. Sorry, Jake, but I'll take you out to dinner. How's that? Man, uh-huh. it's so funny if it happens now. People are like, pay him. If you don't pay, you're a bad teammate. Oh, my gosh. All right, so Jimmy Kemsky, fourth and eight. Yeah, so Kemsky puts out an article defending the decision using math and analytics. Um, and I think Bo Wolf, who's writing for The Athletic, put something out. I didn't read it because it was behind a paywall. But judging by the headline, it looked to be very similar to Kemsky's piece. So now you have people coming out yesterday and trying to defend the fourth and eighth decision. The gist of those, of that defense, particularly Kemsky's, is that, okay, so you take the New York Times fourth down bot, which, by the way, says don't go for it on fourth and eight on your own 43. It's a punting situation, although it's right on the line whether you should punt or go for it. Kem- they take that, and the analytics guys will throw that into an equation, and that equation will say, okay, the risk of getting the first down or turning the ball over at your own 43 versus the field position game of punting the ball and maybe giving the other team an additional 30 yards to go. And what Doug Peterson tried and failed to explain in his press conference on Monday and with Kemsky did a better job explaining was that when you work all that out, it turns out to be basically a coin flip, whether it's worth punting or worth going for it because you're only really gaining 30 yards of field position by punting. What this so that so that was the the crux of Kemsky's thing. It was a coin flip, and and Peterson's aggressive, and he decided to go for it. And you could you could go up by two scores on the Giants heading into halftime. Totally reasonable take. The problem is that equation doesn't factor in time, score, momentum, game situation, even just the teams playing. So my retort to Kemsky was, all right, look, even if you can equate this to a coin flip, well, you have to consider there is two minutes and 30 seconds to go. The Giants had only used one timeout, so they had three timeouts, but this was an offense that hadn't scored a touchdown in 11 quarters on the season. Uh, They had nothing going on the day. You pin them back. Let's just say they get to the 15. Let's choose like a nice average area where where a a decent punt would get them. You have to go 85 yards, score a touchdown. You have to go at least 40-some to get in field goal range, even long field goal range. You, you know, you almost all but guarantee yourself heading into the half with a lead. They don't have that much time. All they were doing so far in the day was dinking and dunking down the field. Two and a half minutes isn't a lot of time to do that with the Eagles defense playing the way it was and the Giants offense playing the way it was thus far in the season. Like, it makes all the sense in the world to punt. 
So Kemsky poses a hypothetical and says, all right, first and 10 on your own 12, you have a, you throw the ball. You have a 66% chance of completing that pass at your own 43 and a 33% chance of that ball getting picked off uh, at the 30, at your own 30, something like that. Basically, what he was trying to do was flip the script and say, from the Giants' perspective, this is the equation. And in that, you're like, no, of course you wouldn't go for it in that situation. And he's like, well, see, the Giants would have preferred the Eagles to punt. But it's such like a stupid, half-baked, it's not stupid, it's such a half-baked um, scenario because that equation says is asking you, do you want to risk a 33% chance of throwing an interception on first down versus a field position possession position swing on on a potential punt like the calculation is totally off so i don't know it's very complicated and probably tough to describe but there's people trying to defend it now on the guy under the guise that it was a coin flip without factoring in the teams the time of possession and the momentum swing of a struggling offense getting the ball at midfield with two and a half minutes to go getting like a free gift like you talk about giving a team life that hadn't shown signs of life in two and a half games Getting a stop at midfield with two minutes to go in the half of a one-possession game is is just about the best way to do it. Oh, I mean, my and I'm thing. Spent. Yeah, no, I look. I understand the math. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. Especially look when I saw the play. I went, oh, look, he did have Nelson Aguilar right there. But um, I don't know, man. It's there, there's something about a, a team that you're that especially having Donnie Jones and how much of a baller he is and how bad the Giants offense is. And yeah, it's always about keeping the offense on the field and setting it up for points and all that. But um, at that point of the game, the Eagles defense felt like they could score points, Um, you know, with them being on the field and and creating a turnover down there. So uh, I was, I definitely lean more towards your side on this, but I do appreciate the work that local reporters are putting in to kind of diving into this shit. I thought it was a, I thought it was a good piece to show the other point of view. Didn't mean I agreed with it, but I like seeing the, you know, the work go in. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And how many other cities would three days later, not only be talking about it, but actually deep diving on the math. My guess is not a ton, not this oh, many Oh my God, doing dude, it. yesterday I'm talking to Sims and he was like, he was like, look, I know that people aren't probably talking about it, but we should talk about that fourth down call. I go, Sims, that's all Philadelphia is freaking talking about. He goes, really? He goes, they're not even talking about the fourth down calls for the Giants that were really dumb. They're talking about Odell's celebration. I go, that's the difference between New York and Philly. New York is going to talk about a celebration. Philly's going to talk about fourth and eight on the 43. That's how they work. Yeah. He was like, yeah, man, those cities are different. I was yeah. like, yeah, bro, they are. Uh and the All whole right, thing so is, it's like, you know, the fourth, like, I, I my argument on the actual point is, is you get, the best you can get the math is to be a coin flip. And that's still before you factor in time and the team's playing and the offense is playing. Like, there's there's nothing, there's no same person should go for it there. I don't know. I'm still worked up. No. I, I hate Doug. I, I understand. We are going to do our breakdown of the game on Friday, uh, previewing the Chargers and our predictions, which... The last few weeks have been pretty freaking spot on. Uh, So you're going to have to join us and make sure you get listening to our picks. Uh, Russell is out teaching the youth of America. Kyle will be entertaining you guys on the internet on Crossing Broad. I have to go do uh, Bleach Report drink. Sims left go drink.
Uh, have a great day, guys. We love you very much. And we will talk to you in two days. So now we're back. Kyle, AirPods, are they still an issue? This one, this uh, was not an AirPods issue. This was a... It's always an AirPods issue. No, the the audio was good. We we would be very forgiving. All you have to do is say AirPods, we we get it. Yep. Apple products. But, you know, like the $2.5 below uh, headphones that you can plug into your headphone jack, those are a quality product. They don't crap out. I might Amazon Prime stuff for Kyle. That'd be really get them, get them like some hello, like, get like them some like Santa. Hello Kitty yeah. uh, headphones. Ooh, like the Hello Kitty, but like Skull Candy. So yeah, over the Skull, ears. So yeah. 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 Well, the first issue was today was the microphone, and the second issue was our TriCast recorder. So the AirPods are having a day. So uh, and now really- my issue is apparently a motorcycle revving its engines at 6:42 outside my window.